Hello, welcome to Wide Left Sports. Today, I am joined by former U of M Grizz head football coach, Mick Delaney. How are you doing today, Mick? Doing well, Mitch. Uh, just got a little sunshine this morning, so that's good. We haven't had much of that here in Butte in all of April. <clears throat> I know, I'm in Billings, and it's the same. It's a beautiful morning here today, so it's great. For sure. So I looked up all your coaching accolades because I, of course, knew you from U of M and you've kind of been all over the state of Montana. So give me a little bit of a history of, you know, your coaching. Well, you know, I, I graduated from at that time, Western Montana College in Dillon in, in uh, 1965. And then I came back to to, well, I actually worked at Beaverhead County High School my last two years in, in school, helping with the wrestling program there. And then uh, after graduation, I came back to Butte and went to work at Butte Central for Bob Petrino Sr., uh, which was my first job. And he was moving from, at that time, from uh, Harlowtown to Butte Central and stayed with Bob a couple, three years, and then went over to the University of Montana with Jack Swarthout and, and that crew in 1968. And and in 69, I went to Great Falls High with Gene Carlson and remained there uh, through 19, I guess, 1977. I uh, was a head wrestling coach for a period of time there and then took the head football job when Gene actually was uh, hired at the University of Montana as a head football coach in, in uh, 1973, I believe it was. I get those dates sometimes the fall, spring mixed up. You know, fall is football, spring is the calendar date. So. Sometimes right. <laughs> I get those mixed up, but I think it was 1972 or 73 and, and stayed at Great Falls High till 1977, then moved over to Montana State with Sonny Lubick in, in 1977. Uh, just had a great experience there until uh, they fired the whole staff in 1981. And so then I came back to Butte and went into private business with, uh, with my brother for a period of time. And, and, and worked as the athletic director of Montana Tech. Uh, that was a part-time position. So I'm tending bar, cooking pizzas, making sandwiches and working as the AD at, at Montana Tech for a period of time. And then uh, Mick Denny, he actually restarted the program at Western. It had been dropped at Western Montana College and, and he restarted the program in 1989 and uh, stayed there 89 and 90. And then I replaced him and Dylan as the athletic director and head football coach uh, in 19, oh, I guess it was 19, I was there in 91 and 92. And then in 1993, January of 1993, I went back to work with Coach Lubick at Colorado State in Fort Collins. And uh, that was just a, a great run. We were there 15 years and we won six, you know, conference championships between the old WAC and then the new Mountain West. And, uh, and went to nine bowl games at a school that had really never had any success prior to that. So that was a, you know, that was a great time. Uh, those years at Colorado state, we had numerous, numerous young men go to the NFL. Uh, you know, we played, like I say, in nine bowl games, uh, we played schools, we beat Michigan state, we beat Virginia there. Uh, we beat Missouri in the holiday bowl, uh, Gosh, we just, you know, we had beaten BYU two or three times, which hadn't been done. Uh, just a, a, a great run there. We beat Cal 
Uh, we beat UCLA. We got our butts kicked by USC and, and uh, we played Michigan in the holiday bowl and, and played them to a, a one score game. And so, you know, just through the years at, at Colorado state, it was just a, a tremendous run and, and great, great success. And then in 2000 and uh, I guess it was 2006, I believe the administration changed and they hired a young athletic director and, and lo and behold, he removed Sonny from that job. And at the end of the 2007 season, which was just a disaster as far as Ram nation was concerned at that time, after all that he'd done. And actually they had named the field after, after him before he had retired. So he made the comment at the time that, uh, you know, this doesn't happen until you're done coaching. I hope it isn't a bad sign. And lo and behold, a year and a half later, they replaced him. So anyway, they're still trying to get over that. In fact, to Colorado state for the most part, but, you know, I think now they've hired Jay Norvell and, and it sounds like Jay is really, really working hard to bring back some of the, you know, the tradition, you know, tradition is something I think, you know, Mitch, that's over a long period of time, but, you know, the tradition at Colorado State was the 15 years, I think, that that Sonny was there with with his staff and that I was lucky to be a very lucky to be a part of. So, you know, they'd like to get back to where they they could, you know, dominate the the Mountain West Conference now, which is, you know, now it's been Boise State and for the most part and, and you know, Nevada this past year and, you know, some off and ons. But, uh, you know, the old whack and mountain west was just a tremendous league with byu and utah in it at that time still and and uh you know it was just great competition and and a great time so anyway left uh, colorado state uh actually came home for a funeral for uh coach hawk's father's funeral because bob's dad bobby's dad grew up in butte and we were neighbors so it was wow. very, 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 very close to the Hauk family. And Bobby's mother and I graduated from high school together and, you know, just all kinds of butte ties there. So I came home, I was in Colorado and I, I came home for uh, just a short period of time to attend that funeral. And at that time, Tim, uh, Bobby's brother, Tim had just left the coaching staff to go to UCLA. And so Bobby said, why don't you come back and work a couple more? I was 65 then. And ready to retire or do something, you know, part-time, maybe scout or, or do something. But uh, for some reason, I just said yes. And here I was 65 years old and, and came back to U of M with Bobby for two years. And then uh, Robin talked me into staying another year or year and a half. And then I retired again. And then, of course, we had, you know, the unfortunate situation at U of M where Robin and, and uh and Jim O'Day were, were relieved of their duties. And, and President Ingstrom asked me to kind of put, if I would come back and try to keep things, you know, where they were supposed to be as far as, as the, again, tradition of U of M football. So spent then that, that, the rest of that year and a total of three years as the head coach, and then finally retired for good in 2014. So that's a long-winded version of where I've been and what I've done. <laughs> you've given me just off of that probably like five or six questions that I want to ask you so that's awesome so my first question with it is you've obviously coached at multiple levels you know you mentioned U of M Western which is Frontier Conference NAIA of course the Grizz and Bobcats 
for FCS and then Colorado State. What are some differences you see from each level? Well, you know, if you had to, Mitch, if you had to pick a difference, it's probably, you know, just in the number of, of athletes for the level that you're at. You know, obviously, if you compare NAIA to, uh, uh, in those days, it was uh, uh, Division One AA, now it's F FCS, but, uh, or FBS, FCS, I'm sorry. So, you know, when I say, for example, when I was at Western Montana, we probably in the in the three years that I was there never had a young man who could have played FBS football, maybe one or two. But, you know, so we had good players, but not of the caliber of the one double A or uh, FCS schools at that time. And then when you move up to the next level, you know, to the FCS level, Montana always had four, five, six, seven guys, if given the opportunity, or maybe even more could play FBS football. I mean, gosh, I can remember when we were at Colorado State, I was recruiting Montana at that time. And, and uh, you know, there were always three or four or five kids in Montana that I felt were FBS players. And, and for whatever reason, we would usually go a different direction. Although we did have Eli Workman and, and uh, John Newland from Billings, uh, Eli from Billings Senior and John from Billings West that did play very well for us at, at CSU. So, you know, you go back to some of the great old linemen that the Grizz had through the years, you know, going back into the, into the you know, 2000s and, and late 90s, there were a number of Montana guys that could have played at, at CSU. But again, mm -hmm. it was a numbers thing, you know, if there were six or seven or eight, there weren't 20, 25, 30, which you needed to have to be competitive in, in uh, FBS football at that time. For sure. So then one of my other questions is, I mean, obviously Washington Grizzly Stadium is an atmosphere that's unmatched, I think, in the FCS level. So what is it like to coach in that stadium on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, it's just so awesome. People don't people that have never been there don't understand that it not only is probably at the very top of the FCS level, but, uh, you know, I've been told and I've been in a lot of FBS great stadiums, like I say, Michigan state, Virginia, you know, UCLA, USC and the Coliseum. And, you know, there aren't any that are any more dynamic. If you put it into perspective of 25,000 people or 26 versus, you know, 60 when it's full, it's full. And I believe it was Kurt Warner one time said, you know, their Washington Grizzly Stadium is better than a lot of NFL atmospheres. And, and uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just an awesome, awesome place to play. And, you know, uh, some of my greatest memories and I have so many of great, you know, great games, great victories were the semifinal game uh, in, in Missoula in the snow. You know, uh, it, it was just unbelievable in 2007 and, and then again in 2008 to come back uh, from being down, I think it was 42-14 at half against South Dakota State. And just that, that atmosphere in that stadium is unreal. For sure. Um, so then one of my other questions is, obviously there's a huge rivalry that you've actually been a part of both sides with the cats and the grizz, what is it like to be on the sideline for those games as a coach? You know, it's, uh, it, 
again, you know, there's all kinds of rivalries in college football. We, we, when, when we were at Colorado state, obviously, you know, we had three great rivalries with, with Wyoming, uh, air force and then CU, which right. we turned into a rivalry by winning some games there. But again, none of them, at least for me, let's put it that way, being from Montana and being able to be on that sideline, my last, you know, three years, either in Bozeman or Missoula as the head coach from, from little old Butte, Montana, it, you know, it's just, uh, it gives me goosebumps now to think about how blessed and fortunate I was to, to be in that atmosphere. I, I don't know that there's a better rivalry and you can take all of them, you know, Michigan, Ohio state, et cetera, et cetera. And, and again, if you put them into proportion size wise, Montana, Montana state is as good as any of them. Oh, for sure. And I mean, the passion that the whole state, it's not just Missoula and Bozeman, the whole state is either a Bobcat or a Grizz fan. And that's what's so cool. You know, it doesn't matter if you went to Western or Carroll or tech, or you didn't go to school at all or you know your dad worked in the mines or if you were in great falls worked for the power you know whatever it might be on that day you're exactly right you're either a grizz or you're a bobcat there's no there's no in-betweens that's yeah for sure so um you know you mentioned that you played at michigan at michigan state we played michigan oh. in the holiday bowl and we played michigan state in in uh in East Lansing. That's right. Okay. So you played Michigan. Was that during Charles Woodson's days? Uh, no, it was right, right before Charles, I believe. Oh, I don't okay, have those I'm days. a huge Raiders fan. <laughs> yeah. Now this was 19. We played them in, in 1994 in the holiday oh. bowl. So I'm not sure where that fits in with Woodson. I think but. that was right before. Cause I think he was, he was up for the Heisman in 98. So I think that would have been okay. right before. They had the great running back. Uh, gosh, what uh, Michigan did. Uh, God, I can't, it doesn't come to my mind right now, but went on and played in the, in the NFL, and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that was quite a game. That was our first bowl game. We go to San Diego and uh, at, at that time, you know, we were, well, even to the end on a very limited budget and, we pull into, in, into the stadium there in San Diego, you know, into the old uh, Charger Stadium and, and uh, you know, seat 75,000. We've got a little old 14 or 15 foot U-Haul truck that our equipment man drove our stuff down from, from Fort Collins to San Diego. And we, we pull in the parking lot on before that game, it must have been, oh, maybe Thursday or Wednesday. Can't remember the day for sure. But and here's Michigan with two huge transport trailers with Michigan on the side of them. And they had their weight room in there and gators and everything you could imagine. And and it looked like maybe, uh, you know, they brought the uh, whatever the head coach's uh, wife and children's game clothes in our in our little old van. But it, it was really you know, quite an experience. And again, that game was, was near 65,000, I think it attended that game. And, and we played Michigan to, I think it was 24, 17 or 27, 17, something like that. We played them very, very well. And, uh, you know, it was, just, it was unreal to see how Colorado state in, in really two seasons had went from not winning anything 
to playing, you know, Michigan in the Holiday Bowl. Yeah. So you had mentioned that the your stint as um, U of M's head coach was kind of under some turmoil. So how hard was it to come in to U of M and keep that, you know, winning expectation while you were there? Well, you know, anytime you have turmoil, it, it, it's really difficult. And, you know, the, the sad part about that was that, that Coach Flugrad, you know, was such a good person and he had hired that staff. And, you know, I was really, I had worked with Coach Flugrad one year. He was on our staff with Bobby. And, and so, you know, he had hired that staff with people that, you know, he had been associated with through all of his years of coaching, with the exception of myself. And, and I think, you know, he wanted hopefully to keep me around to kind of help him transition a little bit. But when that all came down the way that it did, you know, the staff was, was other than myself, was 100% Coach Flugrad, which, it, you know, it should have been. So, you know, the rest of the people on that staff really, really, you know, took it very, very hard uh, as to what had happened and rightfully so. So there was a lot of conflict, you know, about that happening and me being there and why, you know, why should it be me at, at you know, basically 70 years old, you know, why, why would they do that? And, and to this day, I still am not sure why, why President Ingstrom did that other than the fact that I knew the landscape of U of M having been there before, having been there five years, you know, prior to this, uh, having, you know, having all the Montana roots and everything that I had that, you know, that was probably the one reason why, you know, he asked me if I would do what I could do, you know, to try to keep the thing afloat. And, and initially it was, well, well will you come in this spring and, and next fall? And I said, I won't do a one year deal because that's not fair to the kids you know to have all of this happen then in a year start over again I said so you know obviously I'm going to have to if I'm going to do it I'm going to have to be there you know two or three or four years whatever my health and and energy level will allow me to do and and so you know we had kind of decided without it being a written contract that it would be a three-year deal and then reevaluate and see where I was at you know, as far as physically and mentally and the whole deal. And, and the first year was really difficult, you know, because like I say, the coaches were not expecting to have to work with me and they were good Mm -hmm. people and good coaches and so forth. But it was a, you know, some of the kids still hadn't bought in. They felt, you know, that really it was a, a real, real unusual situation that they had to have another coach. And so that first year was a, a real battle, you know, to, try to get everybody on the same page and at the end of that year uh, I believe it was either four or five of the staff decided to go different directions or you know I helped them decide to go a little different direction and and hired some young guys that were just dynamic Kofensi Henson and and, uh, Leggy Suanoa who had been there a year and Tori Myers and Ross Burnell and and Justin Green I hired back as a running backs coach and you know, and gosh, that second and third year, we, we were very, very successful. And uh, it was just a, a pleasure. And like I said, I was just so humbled and blessed to think, 
that here I am in this situation and we're winning football games. And, you know, we got back to the playoffs in both 2013 and, and 14. And it was just, uh, you know, it was almost like a, uh, uh, you know, storybook ending for my career. Cause there was never, ever, ever a thought in my mind after I'd left Colorado state to work, you know, with Bobby that anything else would ever happen other than I would be, you know, a, a good, hardworking assistant coach who was an old man. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, you talk a lot about Bobby Houck, and he is definitely one of the greats of U of M coaching history. What is your relationship with him like, you know, both of you being from Butte? Well, gosh, Bobby and I, you know, he's, Bobby's the same age or very close to my son's age. They were actually student assistants at Montana together when my son was at the University of Montana and and uh, Bobby's a little bit older than my son but you know just the family relationship of of he and Tim and Katie and and his dad and his uncle Tom and you know his uncle John uh, just the whole dynamics of the family stuff uh, like I say his family and, and my family grew up a block and a half from each other here in Butte so you know it was he's a real special guy and and you know when I worked with him the first time uh, that was his first head job coming from the University of Washington and and you know he just had so many things going for him you know organizational wise motivation wise uh, knowledge all of those things and you know even at the age I was at I learned a lot about those type of things, football, and hopefully I was able to give him a few things as far as, you know, maturing and, and organization in some areas, which, you know, that, I mean, he was organized now and he still is. So, you know, that relationship was, was, and still is very, very close, almost more like a father son, you know, type of situation. Cause like I say, my own son and, and, and my daughter are Bobby and, and Tim's age. In fact, Tim played with my son, Mike, at Montana. So, you know, uh-huh. those things, are, those things are, are things that, uh, you know, only could happen in Butte, I guess. Uh, you know, I've told people before that in the history of Montana and Montana State football, unbelievably, there have been six head coaches, three at U of M and three at MSU that are from Butte. And I don't think yeah. you could find that anywhere in the country, I don't care if it's Michigan, where it's at, that there would be six guys from the same city serve as head coaches in the two main universities. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, Butte is a great town and obviously both of the college towns are also great. So yeah, I used to tease the kids, you know, I'd say to them, you know, every, every time we'd have a, uh, a meeting free at the end of the week or whatever, or even in the winter, I, I'd say, now, don't forget, there's only two kinds of people, those from Butte and those of you that wish you were from Butte. And they got so, they got so tired of that. They just roll their heads back and say, Oh no, not again. <laughs> when I, uh, you know, when I bring that up, but you know, just a real quick back on that, it was myself and Mick Dennehy and, and Jiggs Dahlberg were the three at the university of Montana. And of course, Sonny Lubick and Jim Sweeney and, uh, and uh, Sonny Holland were the three at MSU. So, you know, that's, uh, that's quite a tribute to just the type of people sports-wise that Butte was able to, you know, nurture and, and, 
and put into the football world. Sure, and I mean, Sonny Holland is such a legend in Bozeman. We have our um, end zone named after him now. Where do you get this Wii stuff? <laughs> I'm a Bobcat fan, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. People ask me, how come you like the Grizz better than the Bobcats? I says, because the Bobcats fired me and the Grizz didn't. <laughs> my dad and brother, my dad went to MSU and my brother's at MSU right now, so. Oh, great, great. So that's where I get it from. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I tell but, people that's your, that's your fault, not mine. <laughs> I couldn't say that the past few years, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, again, I have, you know, great friends in, in Bozeman that are lifetime friends, uh, you know, the Universal Crew with Osheim and Dick Hart and, and that whole bunch. And, and just, you know, I have some, some great, relationship still in Bozeman it's great I mean really even even though there's that rivalry it's still just one big Montana football family like you know you yeah, can kind of put it aside <laughs> some people some people put it aside after the game and you know, all that time before the game there's some that 365 days a year they're going to fight and argue with you no matter what you know and and uh I never was that way. I, like I say, uh, you know, Sonny Holland was one of my mentors and, uh, and Sweeney was too, you know, I, I was a freshman in high school, Sweeney's last year at Butte Central. So, you know, I never, I mean, I, obviously it's a heated, heated rivalry and you want to win that as a player or a coach more than anything in the world. But, you know, I never did uh, get to the point where, I didn't remain, you know, friends with the true friends that I had from Bozeman or at Bozeman. Uh, Danny Davies played for us, coached with us as a, as a GA with Sonny Lubick. And, you know, there again, Danny's remained my friend for 40 years or however long it's been a long time. In fact, it's more than 40 now. Yeah. So, you know, Missoula, I have noticed throughout my growing up really supports the Grizz. I mean, through and through, Missoula is Grizz Nation. How neat is that to have such support from the community? Well, you know, again, I think that's what makes uh, Washington Grizzly Stadium such a great venue is not only is it the Missoula people, but Montana supports, you know, but they now the job that Coach Choate did and, and, and you know, Coach Choate played and coached for me at Western. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully he's a protege of, of our relationship and did just such a fantastic job. And Brian Armstrong, who's still there as the online coach played for me, uh, BJ, who was there played for me. So, you know, those, those support things that they've generated, they being Montana state and president uh, Cruzado, man, they've, you know, they're starting to do the same things that Montana has been doing since coach Reed and the, you know, in the mid eighties, late eighties, and all the way through as you know, that stadium now is full. They've built a new facility, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's, uh, it's the way athletics is, you know, Bozeman didn't support MSU great when they weren't winning. Right. You know, so when you can say what you want, winning is what causes excitement and enthusiasm wherever you're at. And it just happened that Missoula had that winning and enthusiasm for you know i think it was a 17 year run at one time 
but now mm-hmm. Bozeman's getting that back MSU. And so I think that even intensifies how important that rivalry is now when, you know, one school or the other is going to win the game instead of one school winning every game. However, right. I'd like to be the one school that wins everyone too. So oh, of <laughs> course, know, right? that's all relevant too. <laughs> no, it's super cool. The last few years where both teams of course have made it into the playoffs, but that that cat Grizz game has been the decider of what seeding each team is. Yeah, thank goodness, probably from a Grizz standpoint, it was very helpful that Coach Biden didn't uh, start playing Tommy earlier. <laughs> you know, because that, that could have been a little different story too. But, uh, you know, there again, you get that beauty influence and what a great young man he is. You know, I've become, you know, really close friends with Tommy with some of the, the work I did with Fellowship of Christian Athletes when he was in high school. And, you know, just a quality, quality young man as, you know, a lot of their players are. I don't know a lot of them. Troy, I got to know fairly well being from Dillon. I knew the family mm-hmm. and, and so forth. But yeah, you know, it just, um, we used to kind of, you know, tease when I first got to Montana, how could this be a rivalry? You haven't won in 17 years. You know, rivalries are supposed to be one and then the other. But, you know, it, in all honesty, I think it's more healthy now than it's ever been. For sure. I mean, that I can't remember if you were the coach of this game. The one game where it literally came down to the last play was ridiculous. You know, we had two. We had one. Well, it wasn't the last play, but we had one. Uh, my first year as the head coach, we fumbled on the six or seven yard line, eight yard line, whatever it might be. I can't remember going in at the end of the game. And then the last one was Bobby's first year back when, you know, they scored. Jeff would call the timeout, then they yeah. fumbled and, and MSU won. I think that's the one that you're referring to. That was yeah. Bobby's first year back this time around. And, that, you know, there's been some amazing things happen towards the end of that game through through the history of it. I mean, both teams, you didn't know who was going to win. And it was just amazing to watch because, like you said, for so many years, it was just one-sided. And it's nice to see that parity either way for either team, really. Well, I think that's what I said has made this rivalry probably more healthy right now than it's been for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, you know, you've obviously done a lot of recruiting throughout your life. What is one thing you think will help kids in high school that want to play at the next level to get to that? Well, I always believed you know, uh, Mitch, I, I always believe that there's a place for every single kid that wants to go on and play football somewhere, you know, whether it's NAIA or, or FCS or Division Two or Three or FBS, there is a place. And, and in recruiting, I always told the kids, you know, you do what you do to the best of your ability and there will be a slot for you somewhere if that's what you want to do. Some of the most rewarding years of my 50 years of coaching were at Western. You know, we had 11 scholarships total to divide, you know, however we saw fit. And, and the two years I was there, we had 110 or 15 kids playing football. So, you know, they were, and, and it's still that way. I think, you know, at Tech, at least in, 
and at uh, and at Western for sure. Probably not quite as many at Carroll and Rocky because of the expenses. But you know that was just the kids were playing because they wanted to play. There was a level there. They weren't getting a darn thing for it. I I can remember and I've told this story before of getting high school kids to sign a letter of commitment with no money with it, you know, just so they could say, Hey, I signed at Western, you know, or I committed was, is the word they use now. I, yeah. I made my commitment to Western for nothing, <laughs> you know, cause I want to play <laughs> football. So to get back to your question, you know, I just always told the kids, if you want to play, then you do what you're doing and, and do it every single day and things will take care of themselves. I just am really, really appalled at to where college football's at right now. I, I'm just so dead against the portal and, and uh, I'm not dead against NIL. I always thought that there should be a way, but I am against NIL of giving a kid a million dollars or $500,000. It's never played a down, which is starting yeah. to happen and leaving one school because they can make more at another. And, you know, my thoughts even 20 years ago on that line were, put money for the kids into a trust of some kind or another. And, and then when they graduate, they get that money, you know, whether it be 500,000 or a thousand, whatever, yeah. you know, I, they deserve something. There's no doubt in my mind that the way coaches are being paid and universities are the big universities are making money. Now people don't understand that there's only 5% or less of the universities that are in the black in football yet all mm -hmm. these millions of dollars, you know, that people are talking about, that isn't every school. And, you know, you say your school like Bozeman or Missoula, UM or MSU, they're not going to get a, a $100,000 NIL situation for a player, you know, and, and uh, the joke, you know, here in Butte was, well, maybe Tommy will get a membership to Fairmont, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for his NIL <laughs> or something such as that. But, you know, there are some opportunities there, but the inequity that's been created with the NIL and now being able to decide with a blink that you want to go somewhere else is just not my deal. I'm just too old fashioned to, to think as soon as a kid, you know, doesn't play, he's going to transfer for, for whatever reason. Now, I'm sure there's exceptions and, and reasons, but, you know, I'm still at the school where you go recruit kids, you've got them for five years, you build relationships they learn how, you know, how to go through adversity and how to accept success, you know, it said, and I know that sounds like BS now or old, old fashioned, but, no. you know, <laughs> for a kid to come in on Thursday before a playoff game and say, I'm leaving because somebody else beat me out of quarterback yesterday, you know, or is going to start this week. I, I just can't, you know, I can't fathom or handle that. I, if I were to do it over again and had to go into coaching right now, I would do everything in my power to work in the NFL, you know, because yeah. they're your coach. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got downsides and everything, but they're your coaching. You don't have to deal with getting up every day, wondering who's going to bail out on you and who do you have to go get to replace them. And, you know, I, I just really feel that, you know, that, that precept of hard work and stick it to itness is, is gone. And mm -hmm. it's been gone in the country for, in my estimation, for a long time. You know, I think we're in a godless, faithless world. And now that's carried over to uh, me, me, me and college football. And, you know, that's just my opinion. No, I completely agree. And I like how you use the MSU reference of 
lose my job one day, enter the transfer portal the next right before a playoff game. <laughs> I, uh, that just shocked me to death. And I don't, you know, obviously I don't know all the circumstances, but man, oh man, I, you know, as a coach on the outside or an ex-coach, I look at that and, and just use that example. There's, there's so many of them. I think this morning, no, yesterday morning, I read there are over 2000 went into the transfer portal this year, and there will be somewhere in the neighborhood of 1200 of them never get an opportunity to go on and, and continue playing with a scholarship. Wow. That's, that's astonishing, you know, mm-hmm. to me, to me anyway. And like I say, that's, you know, I know there's two sides to the story and a kid should be free to do whatever he wants because coaches are free to come and go as they want. But, uh, right. you know, uh, man, oh man, you don't see coaches bailing out because they got beat out. You see them no. bailing out because they got beat, but it isn't on their terms when that happens. You know, <laughs> they leave when things are good. And some of the athletes are, you know, very successful where they're at and look for a change too. So, you know, I guess you say, Hey, if a kid has a chance to go to Alabama, you know, from Michigan, Maryland, I won't use that. Let's say a smaller Colorado state, you know, why wouldn't you go? Right. uh, You know, do it, (laughs) I guess. But it's still, it's not my cup of tea, I guess, Mitch, to say, to say what's up. No, there's definitely some pros and cons to it. And that Matt McKay transfer definitely stung, but thankfully Tommy Malott's just, Tommy Malott. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If they don't, if they don't kill him during the season, he'll be a real force. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping he works on his passing just a little bit so he doesn't he'll, have to run as much. <laughs> he'll do that, man. He's a, he's a tremendous worker. And, you know, Montana state in the last 15 years has had a history of their quarterbacks being really beat up during the season, you know, even, even going back uh, a ways, you know, you have a great season. And then by the time the playoffs come, you're beat up or the end of the season. And, you know, they've, they've kind of been going through that for the last nine or 10, 11 years of having quarterbacks injured during the season, you know, so, uh, you know, Magai, when he was the same way, two years in a row, he was beat up at the end of the year and, and couldn't contribute in the playoffs or when the, Grizz Bobcat game either so mm-hmm. you know they'll, they'll uh, that was it that was the only way they had to be successful and and Jeff was the same way with Troy you know mm-hmm. I mean that was their chance to win football games to have him be the do everything guy and you know it, it cost him health wise obviously right. but uh, you know we'll see what happens here I, I think it'll be a, a little different approach with Tommy carry the ball you know 10 12 14 times a game not 39 like South Dakota State, you know, so we'll see what happens there. I just hope that he stays healthy because he's a great young man. For sure. Well, hey, I want to thank you so much, Mick, for coming on today and chatting about, you know, college football and the Grizz and a little bit about the Bobcats since I let the cat out of the bag of my alliance. But uh... <laughs> well, anytime we can talk about both. And, you know, Mitch, one of the reasons, I mean, I always do these things when I'm asked, but I just got such a special relationship with Billings and, and the coaches there, you know, the, uh, I had some health stuff the last year, so I wasn't able to, to do, but the previous three years, I, been coming to Billings every other week with Fellowship for Christian Athletes and working with all four high schools and Laurel and Rocky. And uh, it's just been, you know, my relationship with those high school coaches and, and Coach Chris up at Rocky have been 
just things that I'll cherish forever. There's just such a great group of high school guys there in Billings that I'm really, really close to. And, you know, it's just such a joy to come down and see coaches that are doing it the right way with, you know, with the way that they handle kids and how hard they work and all that type of stuff. That's great. And it is, I mean, Billings is a great football town. All three of our high schools are competitive for public high schools at double A level. Laurel and Central are always good. Billings is a really, it's a good hub for football. And, you know, uh, probably, you know, but maybe you don't both uh, Jimmy and, and Rob Stanton are my cousins and their dad is from Butte too. So there I didn't know that. No. <laughs> yeah. Their dad and I were first cousins, Jim, and then Jimmy. And, and of course, Dan has passed away and, and uh, Pete is at Dickinson, just a great family. The girls both coached, you know, so it's uh yeah, it's quite a family, the Stanton family, but I'm a little prejudiced when it comes to West and Central. You know what? That's okay, because I went to West, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, hey, I want to thank you again and have a great rest of your day. Okay, thanks. Hit the golf course with the sun out today. It don't get any better than that, Mitch. Sounds like a perfect day to me. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Enjoy. Thank it. you. You too.